We are on Sunday mornings in a series called Faithful Families, and um, we, as I said last week, these, this sermon, today's sermon, and last week's sermon go together, sort of like a marriage. And so if you're listening online, if you're watching online, if you just hear this one, but you didn't hear the one prior to, you need to go look that one up and, and understand how they work together, because the scriptures go together. Um, but to put them both together into one sermon would be uh, an hour and a half long sermon, which you would probably not appreciate. Ephesians chapter 5 is the text where we're going to be in today. And it was interesting after last week's sermon uh, to husbands, I got uh, several messages, texts, Facebook messages, um, emails, and the like. Um, all of them saying they really appreciated that. And of course, uh, those were all wives. <laughs> I have a feeling uh, today's message may, may be the reverse. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> um, is it warm in here? It feels warm in here to me. <laughs> we are in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 21. And, and really, I hope that, you know, if you hear something and it blesses you and you're able to uh, it makes an impact on your marriage and it blesses you in some way. You know, that encourages a preacher's heart, and I appreciate those words very much. If you don't like it, if you disagree with it, or if you have a real hard problem with it, remember, um, you, uh, let me just give you my cell number. It's 316-303-2790. 316-303-2790. And you can call or text that. Um, oh, I'm sorry, that's Randy's number. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, send all your complaints to him. Uh, he, he was the scripture reader this morning. Ephesians 5.21, page 1,254 is the text we're going to be. And the reason why I think it's so important to start here is because often we forget that this is the point that Paul is making. He's really not giving a treatise on marriage. He's talking about Christ in the church, and he brings along marriage as an aside to that. He, he says this, and he's talking about walking and love, being imitators of God, and so forth. And he says this, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we're talking about marriage, that's the first most basic point, is that your marriage needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Your marriage cannot function the way God intended it to function Unless both of you, as husband and wife, submit out of reverence, not reverence for each other, reverence for Christ. So if you love Jesus, if you, if you uh, revere the Lord Jesus, you have a responsibility in your marriage. Okay? Our roles, our uh, responsibilities as husband and wife, it's not always easy, but it's out of reverence for Christ, that we do these things. And by the way, if you're a single person, and you're sort of tuning out, and well, this, this sermon's not for me, it actually is very much for you. Because if you're a single person, and you are not ready to submit yourself to another out of reverence for Christ, you're not ready to be married. That's what God designed in marriage, is to lay down yourself out of reverence for Christ. And so, when we're talking about last week, we, t- we talked to husbands specifically as a review. 
Husbands have this responsibility. This is verse uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, for a person who does not revere the Lord Jesus Christ, does not seek to follow him, nor care, even if a person only gives lip service, yeah, yeah, I, I do the church thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's not what I'm talking about. A person who yields to Jesus will take that very seriously. A husband who is not Christ-following will not understand that, even be able to comprehend to love his wife as Christ loved the church. We said here's to love their wives and to leave themselves, to give up himself for her. I, I, I love how he says, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. We said last week, you know, a husband should be a gentleman, be willing to lay down even his own life for his wife. And we talked about how the, the whole idea of, a, a, you know, husband, uh, we talked about which side of the, the, the sidewalk do you stand on. And someone corrected me, and they actually said, you stand between her and the danger. So if the danger is coming from the road, then yes, you stand between her and the road. But if the danger is a pit bull coming, that's got out of the yard and it's, it's bearing down, you stand between her and the danger. That's true. That's how husbands are to love their wives. They, they, they are a protector, and they love their wives enough to lay down themselves sacrificially. This seemed to really resonate with wives. In fact, I wanted to read one of the emails that I received. This was a, a beautiful, uh, well-written email from Kimberly Yakely. And I, th- I don't think she'll mind if I share this. She said, she was really touched by your message to husbands about how they should uh, even lay down their lives for their wives. Mark has promised this many times, but he has yet to do so. (laughs) You guys can see Elaine for that, so I guess. Now, wives, this morning we talk about your responsibility specifically. We look at verses 22 And 23 and 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. See what he's, see what Paul did there? He pointed to Christ. Just as with husbands, he said, husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. And that may be in a heroic sense or maybe in the everyday sense. But be willing to lay down your life just as Christ laid down his will, as was said this morning. No one took the life of Jesus Christ. He laid it down. That's beautiful. Paul would say in the same way, hey, Christ is the head of the church. And so even as the church submits in everything to Christ, that's what we want to do. Paul here points to the wives and says, as to the Lord, as to the Lord, submit yourself just as the church does to Christ and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, as we put these two together, and this is why it's so important to hear these two sermons together, we have to understand that these two work complementary, in a complementary way toward each other. And it's not designed to be a bludgeon, a verse that used to bludgeon your spouse into do. Look, look what the preacher told you to do, or look, look what Randy told you to do. 
Okay? Now, before we get into specifics, I want to give you a warning here, okay? This is very important that you hear me on this. We are not addressing dysfunctional situations, okay? I'm not talking about situations of addiction, adultery, abuse. You got that stuff happening in your marriage, you got bigger things you got to deal with, okay? We We are addressing in a broad way how marriage isn't designed to be. If you're in an abusive marriage, if you're being in, a, uh, uh, in, in an abusive situation, first of all, I hope your husband's here and I hope he feels very uncomfortable. Because he should. Because that's not how Christ-like men are to lead. And I believe some of the hottest fires are reserved for men who abuse women. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? And wise, if you're in an abusive situation, I want to encourage you, to, you know, seek a shepherd out. Go to the police. It's serious. That's not how Christ would treat the church, and we're not asking you to bend and and to be abused. That's not what we're talking about at all. It may require, if you've got a a sin problem, it may require repentance. It may require counseling. It, It may require involvement on a whole lot of different levels. But I want you to hear me this morning. I'm not addressing dysfunctional, exceptional situations, okay? So hear me clearly on that. That caveat aside, wives are called to do two things. First, submit to your husband. What do I mean submit? Well, Paul explains it pretty clearly. He says, submit to your own husbands, what does he say, verse 22, as to the Lord. Submit to your husband, not because of your husband. Uh, the immediate pushback is, I can't submit to my husband. He's not worthy of my respect. He, he does so many irrespectable, uh, disrespectable things. How can I do that? That's not what it, Paul's saying here. He's saying submit out of reverence for Christ. You submit to your husband not because he is right, but because it is right. We'll, we'll talk about the same relationship with parents and children. Okay? Paul says, in this relationship, I want it to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. And if we're working together, it works as God intended. One of the words in studying the, uh, the, the idea of submit is the word merge. Think of it like this. Um, some people don't get this very simple concept. Okay, When you get on Kellogg in the morning... You know, there's a lot of people, they don't realize that this, uh, you know, four or 5,000 uh, pounds of metal and this four to 5,000 pounds of metal cannot coexist in the same space. As one gets onto, as one yields, as one, as they both merge together, one must yield to the other. So the sign says yield, not because one's greater than the other, but so that there's order in the relationship. So that there's, so that it functions, so there's not a chaotic chaos and a wreck and lives destroyed because two couldn't merge effectively. So they put the sign up, yield. Yield your will or there will be a crash, an accident. When you submit to, when you respect your husband, who you're yielding to is not your husband. Who you're yielding to is Jesus. You're yielding to his will. 
And this leads us to the second point. We, we surrender to the Savior. Paul says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Following the Savior, following Jesus means a full, total life of surrender. This was exemplified in Jesus in Luke chapter 22. Remember that moment in the garden? And he knows what's coming. He knows the physical pain. He knows the sacrifice. He's laying down his life, yes. But he knows that's going to be a painful, difficult situation. And believe it or not, it was not his will to do it. Father, Luke chapter 22, verse 42, if if you want to. Go there. If it is possible, let this cup pass. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When we follow Jesus, wives, you're you're surrendering yourself to someone higher, much higher than your husband. You're surrendering your will to the Christ, just as he surrendered his will to the Father. There is, by the way, tremendous power in surrendering yourself. There is tremendous power in surrendering yourself. In our world, everybody wants the power. Everybody wants, everybody wants the, to, to finally get to the power where they can influence something. And Jesus says, no, no, wait. The best way to take power is to do exactly like this. That was his example that he set when he washed the disciples' feet. He surrendered himself. He surrendered his life. Peter put it this way. If you're following along in Scripture, turn to page 1,297 to hear what Peter says when he uh, speaks to the same group of people. He says, likewise, page 1297, 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. Wives, you can influence and impact your husbands in a way that requires not a single word. You don't have to nag him. You don't have to keep reminding him. You can, you can influence him in a, not just in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. Now, not, not to use this in a manipulative sense. He goes on, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. And what does he say? Look how he goes on to clarify. When they, re, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Your husband's paying attention. He knows whether or not you respect him. And he may not always say anything. And sometimes he may just shut down. May he just go through, go through the motions. You say, well, he, he just doesn't talk to me. He doesn't, he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't spend any time with me. Well, well maybe, you're not, maybe you're not giving him any, any sort of motivation. So, well, well, wait a second. Hold on, hold on. I I want to read you a legitimate email this time. This one was written. I thought it was good. One of our more seasoned ladies in the congregation wrote wrote this. She's a, a widow. but She writes about when she was married. She writes, when we were first married, and we were both very young, 
my husband would say things like, uh, what did you do with that money? Oh, what money, I would ask. You'd say, the money that your mother gave you for voice lessons. Ooh. I know he thought it was funny, but it really, really hurt my feelings. I heard in a seminar one day that God wants wives to write down a list of our expectations for our husbands, everything that we wish we could change about them, and then we were to pray over that list, giving it fully to God and never mentioning it at once at all to our husbands. We were told not to nag them, not to be disappointed by their behavior, but we were to have no expectations but simply to pray over these things. And so I took that to heart, and I did it. And I tucked the list away in a drawer somewhere. It was probably around five or seven years later that I ran across that list. And as I read it, I was astounded that everything I had written on that list, God had fulfilled. You see what she said there? God had fulfilled. He had changed my husband. He even complimented me on my singing every now and again. I learned in that moment that only God can change people. And as wives, it's not our job to change our husbands. We let, that, we let God handle that. And I would add to that, God will do a better job than you would anyway. May we hear what Peter says, that when we are, as wives, being subject to your own husbands, you're doing that for a purpose. Specifically, he's speaking here to probably wives who've been converted to Christianity, but their husbands had not. He's saying, listen, your example here has great power and, and your prayer life as well. The big picture of this, of course, is complementary. This is what Ephesians 5.33 says, as Paul wraps up what we would call the chapter. He says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I was thinking about this. If you are married this morning and you are sitting by your spouse and you're able to do so, would you take your spouse's hand, please? Hold hands, you know, like you used to when you were dating. Now, when you're holding hands, and there's different ways to hold hands, I suppose, but I would say, generally speaking, if you're holding hands, most often the way it works is not where you, you know, just exactly match up and identify hands, but rather you slightly inter intertwine your fingers together. Now, notice what's happening in here, that, that your empty spaces are being filled by another. What Paul says in Ephesians 5.33 is this, each one of you must love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this is not an easy thing. Human beings are sinful and, and have sin. But I want you to think about it in this way. This week and all the weeks going forward, may you understand that you... Only, the only person that has control over your hand is you. I want you to, to fill the space needed by your spouse. And the scripture says that a wife, more than anything, needs to be loved. We talked about that last week. 
And the scripture also says that husbands, more than anything, need respect. Well, preacher, that's all fine and good, but if you knew my husband, you wouldn't respect him either. Oh, I see. So, so your respect is now conditional. Is that it? All right, that's fair, but let me ask you this. Do you apply the same standard toward the lesson last week? Are you always loving? Are you always lovable? Do I now give your husbands a pass that they only have to love you when you're worthy of being loved? No. No, that's not what the Scripture says. Think about not where what you need, where you're, the empty parts of you are, but think about what your spouse needs and work to fulfill that. So husbands, love your wives. Love your wives in the way that they love and need to be loved. And, and wives, respect your husbands. I know, they're not perfect, but neither are you. That's what marriage is designed. It's designed to show us both our need for Christ. And as we fill in the empty places with one another, and we do for each other what they most need in the world, we understand the, the biggest lesson that God's trying to teach us in marriage, which is it's not about us at all. Two people thinking only of themselves will never fully grasp will never fully get a hold because they keep butting heads. They're only thinking about what they need and refusing just to bend just a little bit and fill in the gap for the other person. Husband and wife are to be together on this. And when husband and wife act in a Christ-like way, the picture is the gospel. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Sacrifice. Wives, surrender to your husbands, submit to your husbands, respect your husbands as the church surrenders to, submits, and respects Jesus. Yielding. And in the the complementary way, as you do this, we talked about this last week, your respect of him motivates his love for you. And so in a way, what you're doing doesn't just help him, wives, What you're doing also helps you. Because the more you respect him, even when he doesn't deserve it, the more he goes, whoa, where did that come from? You know, I ought to treat her a little better. Maybe I could be a little kinder. Maybe I could be a little more tender. In the ideal situation, not a dysfunctional situation, understand, but in the ideal situation, this is a building type of process. (laughs) This is, a, this is an illustration. I don't want you to take it too far, okay? But think about the game of Monopoly. Probably not a great <laughs> analogy. Talking about marriage and people working together uh, when the end of most Monopoly games ends up with a game flipped over. But understand, just, a, just an idea here, okay? Monopoly works. Basically, there's three ways to win. I teach my children this. There are three ways to win a Monopoly. You can win by, or, I mean, there's three ways to, to get money, okay? It's income, luck, and properties, okay? And they, of course, know that properties is the way to achieve it. You have to, got to get properties, got to build on properties. That's the only way to win the game. That's how it's designed. And so as you're starting the game and you're, you're you know, buying properties and you're buying the things that you want, and you're trying to strategize, what do you want? What do you want to try to amass here. 
Eventually, it comes to a point where someone else has what you need. Let's say you're trying to buy up all of the, the blue properties, and someone else has, you have two, and they have the, the last property. The only way you're going to get them to sell you that blue property, which they know you're then going to build on and charge them for, the only way they're going to do that is if you offer them something. Could be a lot of cash, could be another property. But here's the thing. You'll never get a deal done if you don't offer them what they need. In other words, to make a deal, you have to think about what the other person needs more than what you need. If you just say, well, I I really need that blue property, and and I'm going to give you $20 for it, they're going to take that deal because they they need more than that. You say, well, I know you need the green property, but I don't want to trade that property. I just want the blue property. You'll never get a deal done if you only think about what you need. In the past two sermons, we've talked about this. Husbands, your wife needs love. Wives, your husbands need respect. And by the way, the biggest threat to a marriage always, always comes when someone else outside the marriage offers one of the two people in the marriage something that they need and are not getting. co-worker of the wife begins to notice that she's discouraged and begins to talk to her and begins to listen to her and she's not getting any of that but all of a sudden someone else is now she's being shown love by someone other than her husband i'm not justifying this i'm saying this is what's happening she's feeling love and all of a sudden she begins to what happened increase respect for someone who's not her husband That's how the enemy works. If you are only focused on what you want and you're not focused on all at what your spouse needs, you're never going to get the deal done and you might lose the deal that you have. We got to be careful. Husbands, I'm sorry, wives, here are four practical things. I I gave five practical things last week and um, guys, if you'll minimize that window, that would greatly help me uh, on the, on the, the computer there, something blocking my Windows update. Thank you. Um, there are four things. I'll just give you these real quick so that you can begin to think about four things as wives that your husband, what respect looks like in a practical way. Okay, I can't find a verse for all of these, but just some ways to think about it. Number one, relationship. You guys do fun things together? This is a danger with marriages when kids come in. You become so focused on your kids that you stop dating one another. I I love the line that a husband used (laughs) with one of his children. He said uh, he was, the children was being disrespectful and he was getting right up in the child's face. He says, stop treating my girlfriend that way. I love her more than you. You're leaving. (laughs) He gets it. He gets it. And so I know it's popular to say, I want to be my kid's best friend and all that. No, 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 wait a second. The first priority in your marriage should not be your children. Your first priority should be one another. 
Do you do anything together? Do you date one another? Do you send fun texts to each other? Do, are you playful? Are you affectionate? Do you flirt? Or did, you, did that all just go, is that water under the bridge from years ago? We should continue to maintain and pour into and invest that relationship. When I was preparing for this series, I was, there, was, there was a seminar talking about the love and respect thing. And so I thought, I want to, I want to learn about that. Take Christy along with me. Just us. Send the kids to the grandkid, uh, grandparents. They love that more anyway. <laughs> um, th- that was not just investing in a sermon series. That was investing in us. It was because Christy and I were having issues. You know, we do preventative maintenance on our cars all the time. Why don't we do preventative maintenance on our marriages? Build a relationship. Second, you can give a, a, a man encouragement. Dream with him. Cheer him on. Uh, there's an old quote that goes, most, most men go to the graves with the song still in them. You dream with your husband anymore? You just look at him as a paycheck. Do you, do you enjoy? Do you, do you think about what the future holds? Do you talk about what you want to do with the next 5 or 10 or 20 years of your life? When, he, when he's going and he has a, a, makes a big commission, do you cheer him on? Do you encourage him? Well, he's not going to ask for you for that. That's not what men do. But men means all the world. When you, as a loving wife, says, I sure am proud of you. You've done so well in providing for our family. Or I really appreciate the way you remodeled the kitchen. And that was just, you did such a great job. And I appreciate all the time. You, I really t- thank you for, for, t- for taking the time with the children. You know, those are little Things that mean the world. Men carry a lot. And in our world, it's a big pile on, especially for men. They could use your encouragement, and they'll never say so, but they could use it. So let the preacher say so. Encourage him. Sexual intimacy. A whole bunch of men in this audience just woke up. Uh, you, You taking notes, honey, getting this? This is... Men need sexual intimacy. I'm not saying women don't either, but, but men uh, driven sexually and visually. That shouldn't stop in marriage. You should be intimate sexually. And I, the, I, this gives me no problem to talk about this in front of you. The church should be talking about this in front uh, and more and more. Did you know there's a whole book dedicated to the sexual intimacy between a husband and wife? <laughs> the youth group is like, could you tell me that book, please? <laughs> God is not ashamed of sexual intimacy. He designed it. And he wants husband and wife to be intimate together. Not in a perverse, twisted way. The world's talking about the perverse and twisted ways all the time. Let's, as a church, not be afraid to talk about the good ways in which God des- de- uh, designed the intimacy between a husband and wife to work. But part of that is just being consistent, being, you know, uh, being intimate with one another, taking time for one another as you did when you were younger. Uh, one quote on this uh, that was from a, a real well-known teacher, he said, Wives, how would you feel if your husband didn't talk to you for three days? What about three weeks? What about three months? 
you need, wives need that intimacy. They need that communication. We talked about that last week. But have you given thought to his physical needs? You would shut down if you lost that communication. And some men are, are just completely not receiving any of that. And that is not the way God designed. Remember, the marriage bed should be honored by all. And so there should be regular sexual intimacy between husband and wife. That's important. It's the superglue that makes the covenant last. And finally, thanks. Say thanks. Practice some thankfulness. Just tell him thank you. Give him a gift. Get his car detailed. Do something to show appreciation and say, I just want to give this to you to say thanks. I wanted to tell you thank you for what you do. And some of the men right now are thinking, well, how come you only gave the wives four things to do and you gave us five things to do? All right, well, the acronym is REST. So I guess the fifth one can be just let the poor guy take a nap. I don't know. I mean, just... (laughs) In other words, both of these areas are designed to remind us there are practical things as husbands and in wives and as wives that we can do to show love, to show respect toward each other. And may we focus not on what we need. Don't leave here saying, well, I hope you heard this week's sermon or I hope you heard last week's sermon. I want you to hear the sermon that applies to you and ask, what can I do out of reverence for Christ. Marriage helps us see our need for Christ. And this morning, if you need Christ, uh, that's a, a greater need than even marriage. So if you have that eternal need, you haven't put on Christ in baptism, you haven't yielded to him as we talked about, you haven't confessed him as Lord and put him on in baptism, this morning would be a great opportunity to do that. Uh, Or maybe your marriage needs work and prayer and and you'd like to come in a public way and ask our shepherds to pray over you. We're, We're glad to do that as well. We don't have it all together, okay? We are not a perfect church. We follow a perfect Savior. And we acknowledge that we all need him. And if you need him this morning, if you have any public need, of our shepherds this morning. Please come as together we stand and sing.